Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. not everybody hears the news at the top of the hour, particularly those of you who are listening to this via the podcast. But uh, let me just say, um, there's a difference between news and commentary. And uh, when somebody tells you that because of who you vote for, you are a spawn of the devil, and you actually know that you're redeemed in Christ, let's, uh, let's be really clear that we are not going to listen to the voices of those um, who, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just, that's so frustrating. Okay. Um, I am going to lift up this headline here, and then we're going to bring the mind of Christ to bear upon it. 112 million people right now from Georgia to Massachusetts, including all of our listeners in Hartford, Connecticut. Little shout out to you guys. Uh, 112 million people right now are under a tropical storm warning. A hurricane Isis made landfall uh, at basically Garden City, South Carolina. Um, we're just just south of there. And so uh, when you see uh, when you see headlines related to storms, uh, storm surge, people's uh, houses being infiltrated with water uh, or washed away by it. What is the story from Scripture that comes to mind? So w- if we are uh, if we are students of Scripture and it is in us in ways that are significant then there is a a part of the gospel narrative that comes to bear literally on every conversation. And so as the waters rise and the storm beats against your house, what is the question that you are asking yourself? And right now, uh, you are saying to yourself, is my house built on the firm foundation? And your mind is going to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus uh, is recorded as saying, and again, this the context here is, uh, is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And we're going to read these verses from Matthew 7, picking up at verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. When the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So there's lots of ways that you could um, go in a conversation today about storms and rising storm surge and storm waters. Probably not a conversation that, you know, you're going to have with any of the 112 million people living in the storm's path. But with the other uh, 220 million of us not living in the storm's path, good opportunity today for us to talk about whether or not we actually do what Jesus says or we just give his uh, his comments about life, uh, you know, a passing hearing. Whether or not we just well, yeah, we heard what Jesus said about that, but it's not going to actually impact 
how we live, how we think, what we do. Jesus is really clear. It's not just about hearing him. It's about doing what he says. Again, discipleship is not just about teaching other people what Jesus has said. It's teaching them to obey. Um, Obedience is a part of this conversation. uh, And building your house on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ is actually like a substantive work. You don't, your house is not just accidentally built or, um, you know, or built by chance upon Jesus and the word of God. It's an intentional act. And so are you intentionally, intentionally building your house today, building your life on the firm foundation of who Jesus Christ is um, and all that flows from that? I've got a conversation teed up right now with Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to talk about guidelines recently released for church reopenings. We're also going to talk about the abortion pill. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Jeff uh, Barrows is here today from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Dr. Barrows, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Uh, good morning. It's great to be with you. Good morning. So uh, if, I, if I log on to uh, cmda.org, one of the things that I find there uh, under the coronavirus tab um, are sort of guidelines for church reopenings. Tell us, uh, tell us why you're weighing in on that and then what your, what your recommendations are. Yeah, we, we in CMDA recognized that churches all across the country and, and, and literally all across the world are now wrestling with a lot of questions about how to open, reopen their churches in the midst of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And while we're aware that there are some states and local governments that are unfairly targeting places of worship and unjustly keeping them from opening, and of course, the most recent example of that is the state of Nevada. That's another story. We do strongly affirm the right of churches to gather as established in our Constitution. So, But we would plead with church leaders that as they think through the process of opening their churches to, to take into account count the safety of their congregants. So we had a group of experts that came together and, as you mentioned, put into place seven recommendations to consider as they're planning the reopening process. And these recommendations deal with things like the meeting size, how to do social distancing, how to do communion, how to do baptisms, uh, whether or not to have choir practice, what about congregational singing. Um, Another question is the use of instruments in in the service, and then finally some general health measures. So uh, once these experts had put together the the recommendations, we, we also had somebody Uh, create an infographic, which is on the website, and then there is a list of the recommendations that are written out. So we we want these to be a guidance and a help to church leaders as they try and plan for their church reopening. I love that it's um, so positively framed. Like, right, you are, you're not telling anybody they can't do something. You're saying, if you're going to do this particular thing, let's say communion, here's a way you can do that safely. 
Um, you know, if if there are baptisms that, uh, you know, people people are anxious, right, to be baptized. I mean, they've come to faith, sure. they come to saving faith, and they want to be baptized. There's a sure. way to do that that's, uh, that, yes. that is safe. Um, yes. I, I, I really, I appreciate that. I just, I really appreciate that. Um, I thought, I thought that the, the, so I'll just say like the funniest one to me was the one on instruments. Never even occurred to me that there might be yeah. some risk in using instruments in worship. Um, so, uh, so I just, I appreciate that you even cover things that I, I certainly had not thought of yet. Um, social yeah. distancing, wearing masks, using hand sanitizer, frequent hand washing, um, all the things that we are encouraging everywhere in the world right now, including in the context of our worship uh, and other church gatherings. Um, what's What would you say is the thing maybe that concerns you most? Maybe you've observed it and you've said to yourself, that that is of, of pretty high-level concern to me in terms of churches regathering. Well, I have actually seen in the news recently some prominent churches that uh, I don't see any evidence in pictures that have been in the media that they have attempted to establish any type of social distancing. There are lots of, of pictures of people that are gathering together and not wearing masks. And and frankly, as a healthcare professional, I, I'm, I'm stymied by that. I, I These are some very basic and easy things to do. And and unfortunately, I think there are some cases where church leaders have not so much encouraged that, but they have not really taken the steps to to caution their parishioners to to take some of these very easy steps like wearing a mask. And and you can now buy masks that are disposable. So a church, especially a large church, ought to be able to have these masks at the door. And you have somebody that forgets their mask, you just you just provide them one. But but to to make uh, plans ahead of time for social distancing and some of these basic things is, is just so critical for the safety of the people in the in the church. Uh, I completely agree. My first Sunday back in uh, in in worship in the congregation where uh, where I worship, um, we've been worshiping online. This last Sunday was my first Sunday back. I got to tell you, it was so um, mm. it was so great. It's just mm-hmm. so great to be back in in the physical presence of my brothers and sisters in Christ, even though it was very odd. And, you know, there's an empty, every other row is empty, and then there's three seats between you and the and the person to the right or the left of you or the family to the right or the left of you. And, you know, you're yeah. wearing masks and, um, and it, it, you know, and there's not a, a collection taken up. There's now boxes in the back on the wall, and, um, and there's hand sanitizer at every door. And, um, but it was... It, it, I will tell you that it was um, it was important. Like for me, I missed being with the people and um, and you know in in that common presence. So anyway, just uh, I I love that we are finding ways to get back together. I recognize our need to do so in ways that are responsible for particularly you know for those who are the most vulnerable among us. And let's uh, let's be mindful of that uh, in this conversation, Doctor Duff Barrows. Um, how about we take a very very brief break when we come back. Let's talk about um, the abortion pill injunction. There's going to be a lot of people listening right now that don't it just they don't even know anything about this story. Uh, but you guys at CMDA have done a lot of work um, in relationship to this. And so would love to turn to that next. Dr. Jeff Barrows and I uh, will be right back. You can find everything we're talking about today at CMDA.org.
Dr. Jeffrey Barrows is an OBGYN. He is also uh, CMDA's Senior Vice President for Bioethics and Public Policy. You can find what we're talking about today at CMDA, Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. Dr. Barrows, talk with us about um, the injunction issued by a federal district court judge barring the FDA from enforcing health and safety precautions related to chemical abortion, which we'll just refer to here as the abortion pill. Yeah, this is unfortunately a much darker topic than gathering together with our brothers and sisters in person, but uh, a a very necessary and important topic. I think it would help to give your listeners a little bit of background. The abortion pill was uh, first approved in 2000 by the FDA, but within a short time after that, uh, reports of serious complications of bleeding, infection, uh, hospitalizations, and even deaths were reported back to the FDA. And so they put into place what they call a risk evaluation mitigation strategy in our REMS. That's a real fancy set of terms. But to just show how important uh, this is for the abortion pill, only 76 drugs out of more than 20,000 prescription drugs have an REMS. And the abortion pill is one of them. And what it basically says is that uh, the physician who is prescribing the abortion pill must go through special training, must have the ability to accurately evaluate how far along the pregnancy is, be able to diagnose what's known as an ectopic pregnancy, which is a pregnancy outside of the uterus, the womb, and be able to take care of those complications. And then finally, it requires that the person prescribing do that in person. And unfortunately, when the COVID-19 pandemic started, the ACLU, on behalf of a Planned Parenthood clinic and several OBGYN groups, uh, sued in federal court in Maryland to have an injunction placed on this REMS. And uh, the ruling came just a few weeks ago. And unfortunately, uh, a single judge who was a non-medical person throughout these regulations and said, no, it's okay. The FDA must have been mistaken somewhere along the line to protect women's lives. And so because it's so important for women to have access to chemical abortion during the, the COVID-19 pandemic, we're just going to put aside these these extra precautions for the time being. And I think it's very unfortunate and dangerous. Let me tell you, I have a, I have a rash on my wrist right now. I can't get a prescription for that until I go and see my doctor tomorrow because they can't tell, you know, via telemedicine by looking at it, like what it is. So, um, but what you're telling me is if instead I found myself to be uh, pregnant and wanted an abortion, I could get a pill without going to see a doctor. That, that is the, uh, that is the outcome of this preliminary injunction by this federal judge. Um, what has the response been from CMDA? Because I think this is really helpful for people to know. Well, we are making our members aware of this, and uh, there is good news on this, and that is that uh, on uh, about 10 days after this uh, decision was made, the FDA has filed a motion 
back in the same court, the uh, District Court of Maryland, to stay that injunction. In other words, to put it aside. And so that's now being reviewed. And, you know, they make some very good arguments uh, in terms of why the court acted improperly. First of all, there was no third party standing. I mean, uh, you would expect that if someone is going to come to the court and say, I can't get this chemical abortion because of the COVID-19, it would be a patient who is seeking an abortion. But they didn't have any patients. They had uh, an abortion clinic and physicians, and they really have a, a conflict of interest. And so that was one one part of the uh, the suit, and there's some other good reasons. So we're hopeful that uh, the court will reconsider this decision and, and put the FDA RMS back in place. Dr. Jeff Barrows, um, Christian Medical and Dental Association. You guys can find these resources at cmda.org. Um, I'd love to have you uh, have you weigh in on uh, a couple, well, at least one other headline um, while we've got you here today. We're hearing that there are a number of medical nonprofits that uh, are being forced to really scale back their efforts um, during the pandemic because their fundraising has just, you know, fallen off a cliff. Remind us the kinds of things that happen um, because of medical nonprofits and the work of uh, of Christian doctors and others who give of their time and talent through nonprofit uh, medical ministries. Yeah, the range of services that are provided goes from direct patient care to inner city uh, clinics and, and just uh, faith-based clinics that are providing either free or low-cost medical care, uh, depending on donors uh, to that nonprofit to support their work, all the way to uh, research uh, against cancer uh, and childhood diseases. So all of these nonprofits are suffering because uh, one of the most effective tools for raising money in a nonprofit is is in-person gatherings such as a, a fundraising gala or a fundraising luncheon. And I, I had the opportunity back in 2008 to start a nonprofit myself. It was a, uh, for a home for women that had been, young women that had been involved in the uh, sex trafficking. And uh, I I firsthand know how critical it is to have these in-person fundraising events where you share the vision, share the work you're doing, and allow people to talk about the, the good that you've done. So it's really tough for these nonprofits right now. Dr. Jeff Barrows, uh, thank you so much for joining us, as always, on Mornings with Carmen. We really appreciate your work. Uh, again, friends, you can visit cmda.org. Thanks, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Thank you, President we'll Peter. We'll be right back. What are you wondering about this morning? What, are you, uh, what makes you wonder? Have you ever wondered why you wonder? All right, so Alistair McGrath is a professor. Uh, he, he writes extensively, he actually published two books last year. This is his new book in 2020, Born to Wonder, Exploring Our Deepest Questions. Why are we here and why does it matter? Um, Alistair McGrath is uh, a professor at the University of Oxford. Um, he, is, he is a wonderful conversation partner. If, you, um, if you're just looking for somebody to converse with that's really tilling the soil of contemporary issues and doing so in a way that is very faithful to the gospel. Um, Let me just uh, highlight this particular 
this particular um, student of the word and fellow believer. Alistair McGrath is going to be with me next, and we are going to wonder together about wondering, wondering about ourselves, wondering about life, wondering about all kinds of things, even wondering why we wonder. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is Max Locato reading these words and realizing these words are to Scripture what the Mississippi River is to America, an entryway into the heartland. Any serious consideration of Christ must include them. God so loved the world. We'd expect an anger-fueled God, one who punishes the world, forsakes the world, but loves the world, this world. And he loves us so much he gave his declarations, rules, dicta, edicts. No, the mind-bending claim of John 3.16 is this. God gave his son, his only son. Scripture equates Jesus with God. God then gave himself so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, Dr. Alistair McGrath. Oh, so many uh, things that I could um, could say about uh, this brother in Christ, um, this this professor and author. Um, but we're just going to jump right in because there's so much soil to till here. Um, Dr. McGrath, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's great to be here, Carmen. Thank you for having me. It, it's wonder. It's wonderful to have you. And when I say it's wonderful to have you, um, it it lifts up this word wonder. And um, and I I just appreciate starting with the question: Why do I wonder about anything? Well, it's because we, we realize that we, we are in this very strange world and something within us is saying, hey, there's more to life than what you see. And when we wonder, we, we use our imagination saying, what could it be? What is there there that's really worth having? And of course, you and I bear God's image. And one of the things that does is it makes us realize, hey, maybe there's something beyond this world and we can begin to open up these deep questions, not just for ourselves, but for our friends who've yet to discover the way in which Christianity engages life, transforms it. And wondering is in effect saying, I wonder if there's a better way of thinking about life than my atheism, as I used to be an atheist myself, or my agnosticism, and helping people to see how Christianity changes things completely. I wrote down uh, in anticipation of our conversation, you know, this reality um, that, okay, if I'm born to wonder, and if, as your book begins, uh, life is a gift, then um, life and the gift of life suggests a gift giver. I mean, if I've received a gift, then that gift is received from someone. I suppose there uh, are at least two answers to the question of the gift giver. One question is based in the reality of who God is, and another would be a humanistic answer to the question that I, you know, that my birth is the result of the choice that a woman made. And so I do, I think that even in the opening sentence, the opening uh, declaration of this book, Born to Wonder, you are elevating a conversation that we all need to have that's at the root of, um, of the competing worldviews today. 
I agree with you. I think that very much we're talking about um, Christianity versus a kind of rather rather despairing humanism. And of course, you're right. I mean, a humanist could say, hey, life's a gift. Christians say that, but they say it's not just a gift we've been given. It's a gift that gets even better when we receive the still greater gift of God's presence in our lives. So if you like, what Christians are saying is life is a gift, but eternal life, transformation, that's even better. There's more to discover. And so we have this wonderful idea that God gives us life and then gives us even more eternal life. And that's a great way, I think, of getting that conversation underway. So there's life, there is real life, uh, you know, Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. That's a, that's a here and now experience of what it means to, you know, when I think when Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain, because it's just more Christ. I think that when you, um, when you begin telling the life conversation, it makes me wonder, right? It makes me wonder not only about who I am and where I came from, and am I more than just uh, a happenstance collection of, uh, of atoms, or am I something real and substantive and ultimately eternal? That's a great question. I'm sure that would really help people get this conversation underway. Here's another way of thinking about it, which I think is helpful too. You know, the Greek word has, the Greek language has two words for life. One just means existing, getting by from day to day. The other means life in all its fullness, a life that's worth living. And of course, what Christianity is saying is we can take you from simply existing to living, living with a purpose, living, you know, really knowing that you matter. And that's so important. We need more than just biological existence. We need to be able to live fulsomely. And that's what the gospel gives us. Okay, I just, I love that. Um, I want a fulsome life, for sure. Uh, Dr. Alistair McGrath is with me right now. We're talking about his brand new book, Born to Wonder, Exploring Our Deepest Questions. Why are we here and why does it matter? Um, Dr. McGrath, there's a, there's a conversation here about certainty versus mystery, um, and there's also a conversation here about sort of the way science might answer a question and the way faith might answer a question. There are lots of good questions here. Let, let's talk about um, science versus faith, because I used to be a scientist myself, and, and science is really, really good about telling us how things work. But it, it can't say anything about what things mean. So, you know, it's very important. I know how I work because something goes wrong. I need medical attention. But that doesn't answer the question, why am I here? What's life all about? And that's one of the things Christianity engages so well. It gives us this answer to these big questions. We're born to wonder, why are we here? What are we meant to be doing? Where are we going? And, of course, these are great questions. People like Richard Dawkins try to shut this conversation done, but it's a really important question, and we need to open it up and show there are some very good answers to those questions. So, um, Dr. McGrath, I, I love that this you, you spend this time, it's fairly late in the book, um, but you have a chapter that's actually called Humanisms, and there's a, you know, that's a plural. I am not sure that very many people have thought of humanism as humanisms, that there are this, there, there are multiple varieties of of the humanistic approach to the conversations of the day. Can you can you tell us, give us a little window into that? 
I'd love to. Um, the word humanism began to use, be used, you know, four or five hundred years ago, and it didn't mean secularism or atheism. It simply meant we need to find ways of bringing human nature to fulfillment. In other words, it's about fulfilling human nature. And of course, as you know, Christianity is very much about, in effect, saying to be fulfilled people, we need God. So if you like, there's a Christian vision of humanism, which is to be an authentic human being, we need God. Now, in our own day and age, people would say, well, no, 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 um, humanism is about not needing God. But the point I'm making is there are multiple ways of understanding what humanism is. Because if we say humanism is about enabling human beings to find their true destiny and fulfillment, you can see immediately Christianity is in there with a very powerful answer. And of course, there might be Jewish humanism, there might be secular humanism, all sorts of things like that. But one of the points I want to make is we need to make sure our friends and our colleagues know that Christianity is not just saying, hey, there's a God there, you need to know this God, but you will have life in all its fullness, you will be fulfilled as a human being by discovering this God and being transformed transformed by the love of this God for you. I am talking with Dr. Alistair McGrath. You can find him online at alistairmcgrath.com. We're talking today about his brand new book, Born to Wonder, and we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Alistair McGrath, we're talking about his latest book, Born to Wonder, Exploring Our Deepest Questions, Why Are We Here and Why Does It Matter? Um, uh, Dr. McGrath, one more question um, on this, and then I would love to turn the conversation to just a few reflections on the life and impact of J.I. Packer. Um, uh, when, when people are prone to wonder, are they also prone to wander? They are. I think that's a very good question, because very often when we open our minds up, basically there's nothing there to guide us sometimes. And we just feel restless. We feel you know, lost. And we just say, I'll go this way and hope for the best. And that's why I think it's very important that when we talk to people about our faith, we make the point that actually we our minds open up to possibilities, but all possibilities are not equally good. And we want to be able to explain why we find that Christianity something so wonderful. Why, if you like, the way, the truth and the life that we found uh, work out so well. So I think it's a very good point you're making. It's not enough to wonder because you can wonder and you end up going somewhere really mad. You need to find the right way. And of course, one of the points that everyone makes is Jesus is not just saying, I show you the way, get on with it. He's saying, I am the way. I accompany you as we journey towards the new Jerusalem. That's so important and so reassuring. Yeah, I just, I love, uh, I love the way that you are a faithful companion um, along the way and the way that you uh, bring science and the gospel to bear on the conversation. You help us have these conversations about apologetics in ways that are not just propositional, but conversational. Uh, and so let me encourage folks to check out last year's books as well, Narrative Apologetics and Mere Discipleship, also both excellent. Um, Dr. McGrath, I'd love to pivot and just let you reflect for a moment on the life and impact of J.I. Packer. You wrote a biography of Packer back in 1998. He has now uh, gone to be with the Lord and just, just want to give you the opportunity to reflect on his life and impact. 
Well, he's a very significant figure, I think. And also, he helped me personally. I remember I went to see him in Vancouver, I think it was about 18 months ago. And, you know, we hugged each other because I think we both realized we might never see each other again. But of course, uh, for Packer, you know, there are several things I think he says that are really helpful. One of them is that we can learn so much from our past. For Packer, of course, Puritanism was really helpful. He was saying, look, these guys can help us in thinking about how we live the Christian faith. And that is so important to realize other people have walked the walk of faith before us and they can help us. But for me, I think Packer really brings home the importance of spirituality. In other words, not just saying, I know what Christianity believes and that's it but saying, I know what Christianity believes and it changes my life. It's about making sure the head and the heart are interconnected. I, I think his best book is Knowing God, which came out in 1973. And for me, that's a book that enables you to connect head and heart that actually helps you um, understand how you can deal with sin. It's all about realizing that God has a plan for each of us. I think it's one of his best works. And I think, you know, we'll still be talking about that book in 10, even 20 years time. So I'm feeling like uh, University Press uh, reissued um, Knowing God like fairly recently. So if folks want to um, get a copy of Knowing God, it, it's still available. In fact, it's, I think, a fresh printing um, either just at the end of last year or at the first of this year. So opportunities to continue to get that. Um, I'm wondering, uh, Dr. McGrath, if there are, um, who are you reading? In, I mean, you know, like, right, we're encouraging people to read and listen to voices like yours. Um, I am wondering who who you read? Who do you listen to? Well, the answer is um, there are so many wise people around that actually a lot of people listen to. But my own favorite, and this will probably not surprise you, is C.S. Lewis, because he and I both came from the city of Belfast in Northern Ireland. We're both atheists who discovered Christianity at Oxford. But he writes far better than I do. And he, he, he's got this beautiful way of expressing things. But I find him really important. The thing I like about Lewis is you read him once, then you come back to the same book and read it again. And you see things you missed the first time round. He's one of these writers you can keep coming back to. He keeps um, informing you. He keeps stimulating you. For me, he's just a wonderful traveling companion on the road of faith. Well, you are certainly a wonderful traveling companion on the road of faith. Um, for those who do not follow, follow Dr. McGrath, please do so. You can find him on all the social medias. Um, uh, Dr. McGrath, let me, uh, let me lift up a, a current headline and let's just reflect on it together. Um, so we are here in the United States, maybe around the world, everyone is reading uh, these headlines related to uh, the the existence of retrieved vehicles that were that bear no evidence that they were made on this earth. So this gets us to the UFO conversation. It gets us to the are we alone in the universe conversation. Um, it is an awe and mystery and wonder kind of conversation. Um, if you were faced with a student who wanted to, you know, have this conversation, where would you take the conversation? Well, let me tell you what I would do. Of course, I mean, there might be better ways of doing this. Here's what I would do. I would say, look, all these things you're talking about, they make us realize that this world is much more complicated and strange and deep than most of us realize. And that's very important because very often we shut things down and say the world is limited to what we can prove, to what's around us. And in many ways, what discoveries, insights like this are saying is this world is bigger than we realize. We're born to wonder. And if 
one of the things that really strikes me as being important is this, that very often we think this world's amazing. But one of the things Christianity is saying is you can get to know the guy who made it. In other words, that you may wonder at the beauty of the world, but in effect, you're able to reach out and get to know the creator of the world. Now, I enjoy reading books and every now and then I meet authors of books. And it's so special because it means that the book I've read and enjoyed, I've met the guy who wrote it. It's wonderful. That's what Christianity is saying about this world of ours. It's amazing. It, it, it's very hard for us to take it in fully. But we can meet the guy who wrote that book, who made this world, and we'll be blown away by how wonderful he is because we realize that, you know, this is a wonderful world. He's even better than that. And if people are drawn to the idea that we might get to meet something or someone otherworldly, um, how great is it to be in a position to say, hey, I, I actually I actually know the creator of it all. Um, uh, it gets back to our knowing God conversation and J.I. Packer. But, you know, just the the incredibly uh, wonderful opportunity it is for for Christians um, to be able to not be afraid of the conversations of the day, but to enter into them saying, hey, I, I actually, I, I know the guy. Like, I know the guy. I know the guy behind it all. It's a great line. And, you know, it's, it's a bit like introducing somebody to a friend and saying, look, I've met this person. Oh, they're wonderful. They've changed my life. Let me introduce you to them. You know, it is in effect saying, let me help you to find the one who really matters, the heart's desire, you know, something that is like the pearl of great price, something that really satisfies. And actually, people are looking for something. That's why I call the book Born to Wonder. People know they're looking for something. They know they haven't found it yet. And they're looking. And maybe you and I can help them to look harder and even to find what you and I have found. Yeah, absolutely. The... Uh... Our proclivity, proclivity to wonder um, can end in awe. It could end in pondering. It is an opportunity as Christians to engage in the conversation that others are exploring, the deepest questions people are asking. Why are we here? Why does it matter? The book is Born to Wonder. Alistair McGrath is the author. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. What a delight. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. fun. I hope you have enjoyed your time with me this morning. I have certainly enjoyed my time with you. Thank you, as always, for engaging with us online at MyFaithRadio.com. Uh, let me just remind you that uh, there are lots of ways that you can go about sort of curating the content of, of your discipleship. And, uh, and somebody who uh, texted in a few minutes ago is lamenting that there's no congregational singing uh, yet at her uh, at her church, and so she's worshiping somewhere that that she can practice social distancing, but also have the opportunity to congregationally sing. Um, and and that reminded me that if you go to myfaithradio.com, <clears throat> up there towards the right hand corner, there's a little thing that says uplifting music. And if you've never um, ventured over to our music uh, sister stations, um, now of course you're not allowed to do this during the show course. <laughs> right? That's the way I'm supposed to say that. Um, but we have all of this uplifting music uh, as a part of Northwestern Media, and we did great music stations, and you could sing your heart out, practicing perfect social media, or social, uh, sorry, social distancing, because, right, you can sing your heart out wherever you are um, with the incredible uplifting music that's offered 
through the Faith Radio Network, through our sister uh, stations in uh, in all of our broadcast cities and, and online as well. So just an opportunity there to uh, curate the content of your day by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Fresh content is posted every single day, all kinds of articles, all kinds of uh, wonderful content. So go check it out, MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.